Well, good morning, Crosstown. Welcome to church. So glad that you're with us, whether you're watching online or at any one of our locations. We're glad that you guys are here. If you're new, my name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're in part four of our study on the book of Daniel that we're calling Unshakable because we serve a unshakable God, a faithful, holy, awesome God who is able to provide strength that we need even in a hostile environment. I don't know if you know this, but we live in a very hostile hostile environment and culture to the gospel that wants us to feel the pressure to cave to our convictions, to walk away from our character and our faith in Christ. And there is perhaps no better story in the Old Testament than the story of Daniel, because here's a guy who was taken from his homeland of Jerusalem during the Babylonian exile and pressured to conform to the culture, to give up his heritage, to not follow God. And so he was pressured and tempted to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. He did not cave. And the result was God showed him favor. He's pressured by these magicians and astrologers and threatened with death if he doesn't come through with the the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. God proves himself faithful and we learn that we can seek wisdom only from God, that he provides graciously when we ask for wisdom and we should go to him not to other people as our source of truth and our source of wisdom Daniel did that the result was God shows him favor Shadrach Meshach and Abednego who we were introduced to last week refused to bow down they had a choice either bow down or burn they chose to burn and God proved himself faithful even through the flames that even though they experienced the fire God was able to save them. And they trusted in the Lord to save. And so God shows favor. They're elevated. They're promoted. It's crazy. These foreigners who are God-fearing Jews that want to do the right thing are remaining faithful in a hostile environment. And God is showing favor and has provided for them every step of the way. And so when we come to Daniel chapter 4, we see Daniel again trying to do the right thing. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. This is his second dream. The first dream is in chapter 2. There's another dream where um, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of worried again, stressed out, fearful that he's going to lose his kingdom. He, he made much of his kingdom, and uh, he had a lot of pride in his kingdom, and therefore I think there's a parallel principle that we can learn today because many people today have made so much of their kingdom, their world, their universe. We're just living in it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a water park recently, but every time we go to a water park, it's always crazy, busy, jam-packed with people. And if you don't get there like the second the park opens to get yourself a chair, good luck, right? And so you stroll in five minutes later, you walk in, there's no chair to be found, and the people are in the water, but they've set up their own little kingdom that you can't invade. I mean, they've got their towel, they've got their their swimming bag there, they've got everything, their shoes, they've put everything to make sure that they, everybody else knows that that's their kingdom. They're not present in their kingdom, but don't take their kingdom. And so I do the Christian thing and, and teach them to share because part of being a part of God's kingdom is sharing. And so I move their stuff and set up my kingdom. No, I don't do that. I just sit on the floor because there's no kingdom to be had. Everybody's concerned about their world, their universe, and you're just living in it. We see that in our culture. King Nebuchadnezzar was concerned about his 
kingdom. In fact, this is what he says in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. We're skipping ahead, but I want you to kind of see this verse because it summarizes his perspective of the kingdom that he's built. Verse 30, it says, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built? Notice the personal pronouns in this verse. I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. It's all about me, myself, and I. I've built this great power called Babylon and everybody else is just living in it. And Nebuchadnezzar is about to be in for a rude awakening through this dream that Daniel is going to interpret. And so through this story, I want to ask a few questions to cause us to do some self-reflection on our own kingdom and our own pride that perhaps we may have set up. Because pride is a terrible thing and it can cause us to be ruined in our relationship with Christ. And so... If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, and we'll read this story together. Daniel chapter 4 says this, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Starts off good. And remember, this is on the tail end of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar just seeing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be saved from the flames and giving praise to the God who saved those three guys from the flame because there wasn't just three guys in the flame, there was a fourth And that was, we said last week, many people believe the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. Pretty cool. And so he's kind of on a high and he's saying, peace multiplied to you. And it says this in verse 2, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation Yet, I don't think he really believed that. I think those were just words in his mouth. Now, later on, you'll see him actually say some things that are more truer to his heart in repentance. But here, I I don't know if he's grasped it. And I don't know if many people today have grasped it. We give lip service to God, that we believe he's sovereign in charge, that it's all about his glory. But the way we go about life says something completely different, that it's actually more about us our wishes, wants, and desires, and what we're interested in, and then we kind of give some lip service to God, or we give some time to God, we do some serving, but it's, it's really not a lifestyle. It really hasn't taken root into our heart, okay? And so here's the dream. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease at my house and prospering in my palace. This is, this is a message to be unshakable when you're on top of the mountain. When everything seems to be going right, when life seems to be going according to plan, when all is well in the kingdom, you got to know how to have an unshakable faith because what's at stake in that moment is thinking that you had something to do with everything that is going well. I think one of the detriments to our faith is that we have something to do with the source of our success. That's pride. And this is what's about to trip Nebuchadnezzar up. He says, I saw, verse 5, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head before me that they might, oh, uh, of my head alarmed me. So these things alarmed him. Verse 6, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So, 
he has not yet learned his lesson. Remember the first dream that he had, he brought in the astrologers, the, the sorcerers, these magicians to do what? To, to not only interpret the dream, but to tell him what the dream was. Well, this time he kind of gives him a little bit of an easy task, and that is, I'm going to tell you the dream. You just need to tell me the interpretation, and they still couldn't do it. He doesn't learn his lesson. They're not good enough. That's not where you need to seek the source of your wisdom. So he calls in Daniel. Verse 8, at last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, which is interesting. He was named after Nebuchadnezzar's false god, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, king of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretations. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. And so he goes on to share this dream. And the dream is this. There's this big tree, mighty tree, with lots of beautiful flowers and leaves and fruit that feeds all the living creatures around it. It provides shade. It stretches as far as the east is to the west. Everything looks great. And then a voice, a watcher, an angel comes down and says, there will be an axe cut to this tree. And the tree was cut with an axe, leaving just the stump covered in iron and bronze. There's symbolism there. There's imagery there. It's powerful. Nebuchadnezzar wakes up. And he's wondering, what does that mean? Because <laughs> usually when a tree gets chopped down, that's usually not a good thing. And if it's his dream, he probably has something to do with that dream. So he's worried. He's, he's fearful. He's panicking. What could possibly happen to this kingdom that he's built up. And so Daniel interprets the dream. And uh, you'll notice something in verse 21. This is what Daniel said. He's talking about this tree, verse 20. He says, the tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under the, which the beasts of the field sh uh, found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. So he's describing this tree that he saw. And then he says this in verse 22. It is you, O king, who have become uh, who, who, who've grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he says, sorry to say, but that tree, that tree is you. I wonder, what in your life is God pointing out to you that is causing you to be prideful? What in your life that God is pointing out to you is causing some pride in your life? Maybe for you it's your job, maybe it's a career, maybe you've rose in the ranks and you have some success and um, you forgot along the way that it was actually God who gave you that talent. It was actually God who gave you that experience. It was actually God who gave you that opportunity. It was actually God that placed you in that environment or put you in uh, a path with that person that got you the job. It was actually God who gave you the ability to speak and to think, to reason, and to actually have some success in that job. But yet we think that we had something to do with it. Or maybe for you it's your kids because your kids are like, perfect angels 
Uh, that's not my story, but that could be your story. And so you take pride in your kids and, or maybe you look at other people's kids and you think that your kids are better because they're misbehaving and your kids are perfect. Well, then pride goes before the fall sometimes and even the best kids can actually stumble and fall. But we take pride in our kids. We take pride in perhaps our house. We want it to be perfect. We want it to be just right. I know ladies might struggle with that, that if it's not up to par and looks like this woman's house, they feel inadequate, and there's that sense of pride that eats at them, right? Or maybe it's this self-righteous pride that we have. We're like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 who actually prays before everybody, God, thank you, I'm not like this sinner over there. That'd be a fun guy to invite to a party, right? God, I'm so grateful that I'm not as bad as these people around me here at this party, right? This, it's self-righteous pride that often gets the best of us. And it's, it's all of us. Pride affects every single person. That's why it's one of the, the root causes of all kinds of evil and all kinds of sin, because we make much of ourselves. And anytime we make much of ourselves, this is what we're doing. We're making little of God. And Daniel says, this is you, Nebuchadnezzar, and maybe God's pointing something out to you today that this is the area of your life where you need to be careful lest you fall. He says this in verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king, it is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you. Seven years shall pass over you till you know that the most high God rules. That's the key verse here. You are gonna become Nebuchadnezzar like a wild animal being given the mind of a beast, have to eat from the fields, being driven away from mankind, from your kingdom, the very kingdom that you bragged about, that you had everything to do with. That's gonna be taken away from you. You're gonna be treated like a wild animal. That will happen for seven years, and this is the phrase, till you know that the Most High God rules. Until you've... Put your kingdom in its proper place. Listen, the problem with Nebuchadnezzar wasn't that he had a kingdom. The problem with Nebuchadnezzar wasn't that he had stuff. Here's the problem. The problem is that stuff had him. The problem was that his heart was so bent that he had something to do with everything that was given to him. That this was all about him. This was because of his majesty. This was because of his power. If you remember in Daniel chapter 1 verse 2, it says that the Lord gave, the Lord gave King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The Lord gave Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Lord gave all these things to Nebuchadnezzar, but yet he failed to realize. And he's going to have to be forced from this kingdom, forced to eat food like an ox until he realizes and recognizes and wakes up to the fact that it was God until he realizes that it was the most high God who rules from heaven I wonder for you do you know anyone do you know anyone who has a prideful spirit maybe this is you right Maybe the stubborn person is you. 
You know, it occurred to me like Nebuchadnezzar should at some point realize that if God was continually providing, if God was continually stepping up and working through Daniel and working through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and he says these words at the beginning of chapter four, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, that at some point that reality of what is true should infiltrate his heart and it should actually cause him to live differently. But yeah, some people are stubborn. Nebuchadnezzar was stubborn. Perhaps the people that you know are stubborn. Perhaps, don't look at them right now, but maybe they're with you today, or maybe that person is you. You know, sometimes it's not until we hit rock bottom that we get into the position where God wants us, where we look up. I think sometimes God needs to knock us on our butt, knock us on our back, so that we will look up in the proper direction. Back in um, 2007, uh, Aaron's family, Aaron's grandmother, took us on a trip to uh, London, UK, and Scotland, and Wales to visit their family's heritage, basically where they where they came from. And uh, it was a it was a great trip. One of the things that we got to experience was St. Paul's Cathedral. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this this massive, amazing structure before, uh, but we have some pictures on the screen. But this was built some 300 years ago and uh, still has the second highest vaulted dome in the world. It, its ceiling is nine stories high. That's how massive this thing is. And um, it's longer than two football fields. It's longer than about two and a half football fields long. It's, it's an amazing structure. The cross at the top of the dome is some 365 feet high. And when you walk in, everybody's doing the same thing, I noticed. And that is they're all kind of doing this neck crane thing. Because it, the structure itself is forcing you to look up. Like you wouldn't look down, you wouldn't look around. It's the, just the environment saying, look up, look up, look up. And you can hear as you're talking to other people the whisper, the echo. And that echo is saying the same thing. Century after century, this was built some 300 years ago. It's saying that God is really big. And you are really small. And until you look up and realize how big God is and how small you are, you run the risk of putting your kingdom above his. Jesus' prayer to us isn't my kingdom come, it's thy kingdom come. And if you're living your life with a my kingdom come perspective and my will be done in my own life for my glory, my power, my majesty, you've got it backwards and twisted and upside down and the ax might be coming. I pray that you don't have to hit rock bottom, but for some people, the only way where they will look up and realize how big God is until they get knocked down and put on their back. And so for you, maybe, maybe God's waking you up to the reality. What is he pointing out today that is your source of pride? Because we often, all of us, forget that when we think we have something to do with the success that we experience in life or the position that we are in life or the, the things that we have in life, we run the risk of forgetting who God is. If you think about it, man's history, man's story is not about keeping their kingdom small. It's actually the opposite. We always, constantly, throughout the centuries, want to make much of our own story. Let's see how this story ends. Remember, it's seven years. He says seven years this will happen. So, Daniel gives the interpretation, 
And then look what it says in verse 29. At the end of 12 months, 12 months is a year, okay, he was walking on the roof, Nebuchadnezzar was, of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. That's where we started this whole message with. That was the source of his pride, that he thought he had something to do with his success. Twelve months pass. Twelve months since Daniel has interpreted this dream. Twelve months since he's had this dream, which maybe now he thinks is a hallucination. Maybe now he thinks it was just a hoax. Maybe now he doesn't believe that there's a God. And yet God, for a year, has been patient with Nebuchadnezzar, giving him chance after chance after chance. And I can't help but think, is God giving you chance after chance after chance? Second opportunity, third opportunity, fourth opportunity for you to repent. God is patient and loving and kind. But at the end of the day, don't be mistaken. He will not be mocked. He will put you on your butt so that you can look up to him. Twelve months pass by, and Nebuchadnezzar is still pronouncing these personal pronouns about his kingdom, his pride, his majesty. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, the Lord wanted to make sure that Nebuchadnezzar connected what he was saying with what was about to happen so that there was no mistake that this was his judgment. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the most high God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately, immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. Get this description. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. This, this is not an attractive dude. He was, he was cast out from his own kingdom because of the pride and the... Um, the audacity that he had to stand before the Lord and declare that he was more powerful. So seven years pass. Seven years pass. And yet God is still faithful. And I believe God can still be faithful to you. His grace is sufficient for you that if you've fallen away and have wandered away from your faith and have made much more of your kingdom than his kingdom and your prayer has not been thy kingdom come, it has been my kingdom come, that God can still restore you as well. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. It took him seven years. It took him a while. But look at what, how this story ends. Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, finally, Lifted my eyes. He looked up. Walks in. And he sees the majesty. That finally he realizes that he's under God's authority. That God is the writer of the story. That God was the one that gave. That God was the one that provided. So he looks up to heaven and he says, My reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives. Then it says this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing 
And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can say, stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Think about who's saying this. This isn't some peasant. This is a king. This was an amazing statement for a king who is like here with his pride to all of a sudden get knocked down to rock bottom and realize that no one, not even a king, not even King Nebuchadnezzar can say, what have you done? Because God is in charge. It's his choice. And so it says this in verse 36, at the same time my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. That's grace. Grace is God showing you mercy and forgiveness and yet restoring you to the place. Grace is it's not just God forgiving you of your sin. Grace is saying everything that Jesus has is now yours because you've entered into a relationship with him. You get what you did not deserve. God bestows riches and grace and heaven and salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation on you. Isn't that great? He doesn't just pick you up. He lifts you up. And again, it's not wrong to have stuff. It's not wrong to have a kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar had one. More was added to it. But now something changes in his heart. And he surrenders what he has to the king, the true king. And he says this in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. If you get nothing else from this message today, would you hear those words? If you're walking in pride, he is able to humble you. So today, here's what you need to ask. Is there something in my life that's causing pride? Identify it today. What is it? Identify what it is. And then ask the question, is there someone in my life that's prideful? And maybe that person is you. And and God has given you time and time again to repent. He's given you chance after chance and opportunity after opportunity. But don't mock God. The ax will fall. Make the decision today then to follow him. And then finally ask yourself, if you've not yet entered into that relationship with Christ, why not wait? Why, Why are you waiting? Why not make that decision today to surrender? Just like Nebuchadnezzar did. Did you notice that he was restored because he had a right perspective of the Lord. This was not him just being restored. It was him coming to the point where he believed that God is in charge. God is the authority in my life. It's about his kingdom, not my kingdom. May our prayer today be, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May you live the rest of your days not for your own kingdom, not for your own glory, but for Jesus. If that's the decision that you need to make today, I know our campus pastors would love to talk to you. Let us know on your connection card that you're ready to surrender your life, your kingdom, and your wishes to Jesus. And they would love, 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 love to follow up with you and to pray for you. I want to pray for you now as we close. And as we do this, I read a statement that I've read in years past, but I was reminded of this week. It's a statement from uh, Louis Giglio. And it, it, it goes like this. He says, if God is the great I am, which is a reference to God's name in the Old Testament, if God is the great I am, then I am not. He says, 
I think we all should come to church wearing name tags that say this. Hello, I am not. I am not. God is great, I am not. God is awesome, I am not. God is able, I am incapable. I would not have what I have. That should be the perspective of the Christian. Humility. Humility is the opposite of pride. And that whenever we approach our life where we have come to the point where we're at because of our own will and our own power, may we be reminded of these words in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. Be aware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. It wasn't due to you. May we be reminded of Proverbs where it says, pride goes before the fall, a haughty spirit God does not want. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble, James 4, 6. The scriptures are filled with these verses that God hates pride but uplifts the humble. So may we, church, be humble people who make more of his kingdom than we do ours. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, this story, this reminder. Thank you for how you restored Nebuchadnezzar. It's a reminder of grace. It's a reminder how we are called to repentance and your grace is sufficient within that repentance to save us, to get our eyes lifted up on the king of all kings, that it's about your kingdom, your wants, and your wishes, and not about ours. God, sometimes some of us need to learn the hard way. I pray that that would not be the case. Just like Daniel says, King, may it not be true of you. And that's my prayer for the people of this church. May it not be true of them. May they recognize right now in this moment without the ax chopping them down that their kingdom is not what it's about. It's about your kingdom, your glory, and your majesty. God, that's our heart. That's where we want our perspective to be today. Help us do that. Help us identify the areas of our life where we're prideful and may we repent of those and give honor and glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.